it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Empire. Hello and welcome to the 500th edition of my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcasts. You watch it on YouTube. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. In a minute, I'll be joined by former Washington tight end, Logan Paulson, as we go over the change at offensive coordinator, what he saw during the season, things that he'd like to see different. How about that two-to-one run-to-pass ratio that Martin Mayhew and Ron, Ron Rivera talked about on Tuesday? Is that really sustainable in this day and age? Also, what he'd like to see in the in a new offensive coordinator, just in terms of scheme, does what, what happens if it changes? And we go a little bit into what he saw from Kyle Shanahan as a coordinator and, you know, just some of the things I think kind of taking you inside that it's just more than about calling plays, how important some other attributes are. We also talk about guard Chris Paul's debut, but of course, Sam Howell's debut, what he thought of Howell and what it could mean going forward. Get to all that in a minute. But first, I do want to thank you for tuning in to the podcast over the last several years. Bram Weinstein, the voice of the commanders, came to me in the 2019 offseason Convinced me to do it. I've had a lot of fun doing this. And I must say, since it started, it's been a disaster for Washington, by and large. I mean, the last couple of years, as far as the record goes, pretty mediocre. But but we're we're in a period where it hasn't been there hasn't been a lot of success. And yet the podcast has continued to grow. And that's thanks to you for continuing to tune in. So I greatly appreciate that. My goal at the beginning, when when Bram and I started this was to provide insight, take you somewhere where you can't go, give you some information and things that you that I felt like you needed to know and provide insight that I can get from, you know, just being talking to players, talking to coaches, others around the league and bring you some fun interviews. I hope I I hope you feel I've been able to do that and I like I said, I appreciate you tuning in and hopefully this continues to grow, but it doesn't grow if you guys don't tune in and I'm well aware of that. Anyway, what you like is insight and good interviews. So let's get to one that I have here with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Logan, I, I wanted to have you on after these moves were made because I think we both felt like something was going to happen. So now that they have fired Scott Turner, in general, what was your reaction and why do you think we hit this point where um, this move was made? Yeah, so first let me just say, like, it's never good when anyone no. gets fired, you know, and I think we all understand that. But, you know, part of our job is 
talking about this and providing some analysis. So hopefully Scott and his family work everything out. I know he's got a, a signing bonus, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that always makes this a little bit easier, but Agreed. Think, think about him and his family. Anyway. Um, so, you know, I don't think I was overly surprised by it. It just felt like as the course of the year went on, there seemed to be kind of a differing of philosophy with regard to what Ron was expecting from the offensive coordinator and what the offensive coordinator was providing. So that's one thing. Obviously there were a ton of other mitigating circumstances, you know, quarterback patients, offensive line health, and then continuity um, just those kind of general player performance things. But I also think that there was an element of, you know, the, the, the ultimate question is Scott doing everything he can to make the group of playmakers that he has better. You know, like someone in the Sam Forty article made reference to that, and I, and that's something that I that really resonates with me, right? Is this idea that like as a coordinator, I know the situation is not perfect, but are you striving uh, to 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 make those guys uh, the best version of themselves, the best version of that offense? And I look at a group like the New York Giants, which is pretty devoid of skill position players. Their offensive line struggled at points this year. They have a quarterback who is arguably, you know in the top 15 and they were able to kind of consistently find ways to elevate that group through, through game plan. And, um, you know, I think Scott does some things that are very, very creative and innovative and he should be applauded for that kind of stuff. But I also think there were times where he, he got too ahead of himself and he kind of forgot who, who and what this offense was and should be, I think. And, you know, there were times like, you know, we, you and I have talked about it that, you know, the first half of the Atlanta game, where he's absolutely exquisite. The second half of the New York Giants, the yeah, second New York Giants hard. game where he's awesome. He kind of what he's capable of and how he's able, you know, and I think he does deserve a lot of credit. I know I'm rambling a little here, but he deserves some credit for kind of making the switch midseason, finding this duo run, this new way of getting there with the motion, the shifts by the tight end, the counterplay. So he did some really good, innovative stuff. I just don't think the consistency was there over the course of the three years. And, you know, is it entirely his fault? No, and I think it's important that people understand that. But I think a change did need to be made, and, and Ron decided to make it. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny because anytime you say anything other than it was all in Scott Turner, I think people get upset because like, right. but it is, there are other factors. Like you can't look at what they've had at quarterback and on the offensive line and say that it, that it was perfect. And I've heard a lot of um, some revisionism with some other former offensive play callers here or, or like Jay Gruden <laughs> and how great they were in the red zone. And actually they weren't. So yeah. you know, there have been other issues, but, but I agree with you that, you know, there was a change that had to be made. And I also think, Logan, that players had lost confidence. Yeah. And I yeah. think that for what all the other factors, I think that was, and and that's a big one. And I, I also, I want to talk about this because this is something that I had heard too, that, that sometimes players felt like there was an overselling of the opponent, underselling of what the game plan was to combat that opponent. Mm. And I'm curious, like, how important is it for, for players to have confidence in what the guy is calling um, and also how they, um, communicate that to the players. Yeah, I mean, I think that's extremely important because as much as, um, you know, football is a game of X's and O's, it's also a game of psychology. And like what I mean by that is I'm going to make reference to Kyle Shanahan. He's a guy that I spent a lot of time with and a guy that I thought did an exceptional job of this. Job of this. On Monday, I remember sitting in a meeting and him being able to talk about the team's cover three and when they were going to run it and how we were going to attack it. And he's like, look at this route combination. If the pivot does this and the dig does this, there's going to be a throwing window here. You could throw this ball with your eyes closed. And I just remember thinking like, I feel as a player so prepared for what this defense is presenting. And I feel so confident in what Kyle is presenting that 
it, it, you go into the game with a kind of an, an elevated sense of self, an elevated sense of offense. Like he would have a meeting on Saturday night before the game where he would talk through the first 25, talk about the coverages he was expecting, talk about the responses from the players. And it and it played almost like a hype video because he would intercut plays from earlier in the season. Like, hey, Logan, look how you're doing on this outside zone here. Like, look at this. The guy you're going against is not this good. You will crush this guy. We're going to support you with this Zorro. We're going to use this motion to get him in this position, and you're going to win this block. And so I remember thinking, like, yeah, I'm going to win this block. You know what I mean? Like, there's like even if it's against DeMarcus Ware, like, he's put me in a position where I can be confident in myself and my ability, and he's elevating what I do. And so I do think that as a coordinator, like, that's part of the battle is creating a, a culture of confidence around your offensive philosophy. And, you know, I'm really glad you brought up the player thing. Cause even if there's, even if there's like the timing of it's weird, it's during a losing streak, players get chirpy. If the players don't believe in it, like that's more damning than anything that we could, we could analyze here. Any film that we could watch, like if he's lost the confidence of that group, um, then, then the decision had to be made. Cause right. I, you know, we were talking about maybe, Earlier this week, maybe he can spin it. Maybe he can kind of look at some of the issues that Scott had. And I think if you look at last year, for example, like Scott, I had one receiver again, one receiver and one tight end and, and, a, and a running back in J.D. McKissick and and made it work. So yeah. the, the situations always haven't been favorable. But if the guys in the locker room, the leaders in the locker room don't believe in it anymore, then that, there's your answer. Right. And I think one of the things that you would hear at times, too, and it's from more than a few, but you know, could quarterbacks have more control at the line of scrimmage? And, mm. you know, just like little things that you'd see with like, Aaron, they don't have Aaron Rodgers, but you do, you know, Rodgers has had that freedom in Green Bay where, if, you know, you look over there and the corners 10 yards off of Devontae Adams, little signal run six yards, pick up eight, 10, right? Yeah. You know, and I don't know, but that's not necessarily a philosophy, but, you know, there's that little bit of extra freedom that maybe could help. But again, if you just if you went and said, okay, I'll do that, and then it still doesn't work as offensively, then that confidence level goes way down. Yeah. And I think, you know, that was something that kind of, you know, again, I'm I'm not I haven't talked to Scott. Scott's right. very hard to get a hold of, as you know of. And so these are all kind of just from right. me watching tape. I'm not this this is my own observations, not even talking to anyone in the building. They're very covetous of their offensive information. But you know, like when you watch San Francisco, they have Brock Purdy checking them in and out of certain plays. You know, Kyle might be helping him from the sideline, whoever's calling the plays right now, uh, might be helping him from the sideline to get in the right look. But he's there's a hunger and a desire to put them in a better position to be successful. And I always felt like Scott was just kind of calling the offense. And there is a school of thought to that. There is 100% a hundred percent a philosophy that supports that, saying that we're going to own these plays. There's no that you can't always be in the perfect play. Jay believed in that. You can't always be in the perfect place. Right. So let's just execute the one that's called. And um, and I think that I, there, were, there were times where I, I felt like you know you mentioned quarterback flexibility. Like, is there a a starving? Is there this you know, kind of compulsive need to find the best solution. And, um, and there were often times where I didn't see that. And I think that's, that's where, again, it's, it's hard to know because I don't get to talk to Scott. Right. Like he might've been overturning every stone he possibly could, but from, as, from an observation standpoint, I'm, I'm not sure that he was doing that. Yeah. And I think then the other thing you brought up with Kyle is basically what you were talking about is him providing answers too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like, like to elaborate on that point, like Kyle, I remember there was uh, this was in 2000, uh, 13 and um, Kyle came in and, and they were talking and Robert kind of had provided plays that he liked running in college. And I remember Kyle saying, okay, like I like this play. I like the, the core of this play if it's versus this coverage. But what I don't like about this play is that it doesn't have answers. And he looked at Robert and he said, what if it's cover three, where does the ball go? 
And Robert didn't have an answer. He's like, what if it's covered two? Where does the ball go? And Robert didn't have an answer. And so Robert would do that periodically, bring a plan. And finally, Kyle says, I like this play because it's got answers. It's got answers versus cover three. It's got answers versus man. It's got answers versus cover two. Do I like the answer as much versus cover two? No, but I can call it versus cover three and man coverages. And I feel very confident in it. And so I think there was there's that kind of hunting for those plays that give the quarterback opportunities to be successful versus multiple looks. So you don't have to call the perfect place. So you don't have to execute from a perfect standpoint. And I think that's always something um, that I respected about Kyle. And and I'm not saying that it didn't happen here, but right. like when, when you watch the all 22, there were times you're like, man, like this concept's good versus this coverage. But if it's a different coverage, where does the ball go? And I never had a definitive answer to that. And there were some, there were sometimes too, and this is this again, this is where play calling is difficult. And sometimes, yeah. you know, you hear stories from other teams about um, coach will tell the quarterback something and the quarterback completely ignores it. And then it screws up and it's and the play caller looks bad. I mean, you hear right. that yeah. a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to put everything there, but there were definitely times where I thought, I really like this play call. There were some screens that I thought, and we've yeah. talked about this, but where there was a screen that was like, I love that. If you block it, it's 40 yards. Right. But did they have the guys who could block in space to execute that? You know, sometimes some protection calls. Do you can you do you think that this group can hold up against mm-hmm. that look to complete that throw without some level of play action? Those kind of things were, and I don't know if that's on Scott necessarily. Is it what is that on? And you know, did you see some of that? Yeah, I mean yeah, fair or unfair. Yeah, I think I think there's an element of fairness to that I mean specifically the screens like you know you have a specific type of personnel at the guard position and to run to run some of these perimeter screens like you need guys who can move better right if you want to run screens there are other screens that suit and kind of fit larger body offensive linemen a little bit more acutely so call those screens if you want to call a screen call a screen that that fits your personnel and fits yeah. Fits what you're trying to do. So I do think that there's an an element of that um, <clears throat> for sure. And uh, and I think that was one thing that kind of became more obvious as the year went on is there seemed to almost be like two offenses. There was the passing right. offense and the running offense, and they were kind of held in the right and left hand. And it didn't and – and they didn't jive well together. Like they kind of existed as oil and water. And it didn't – the offense didn't click until they became the same offense. And right. I think there was this discrepancy between the two groups that made it um, that made it very challenging, quite frankly, to to execute a, a fluid offense in addition to the other elements, in addition to the offensive line, in addition to the health of Brian Robinson, in addition to the quarterback situation. All of those things play a factor, but I do think there is some there is some responsibility as a play caller in this situation. And I think it's up to your listeners to decide like right. where ultimately that responsibility lies. Why? Well, and I, I, can, I can tell you where most of them say it lies. But again, like to me, everything, anytime you have something like this, it becomes an organizational failure because yeah. it starts with roster construction yeah. and then mm-hmm. it goes from there. Now, you know, I, that's not to absolve anybody of blame, but I think you have to then because, okay, now you're making this move, but now you got to improve the line. Now you got to solidify quarterback. Yeah. What are you going to do there to then move forward? But let me ask you this before we get to some of that. Um, do you like the scheme? Would you like him to stay with a similar mm. scheme? That's a really tough question because I think one of the things I think I heard you mention on your podcast was this idea that, you know, this is your third year as a head coach and you're going to bring in a new scheme. Like I remember, again, talking to Sean McVay and Kyle and Matt LaFleur and one of the things they they were adamant 
is it takes three years to learn an offense to, to actually learn the details and the nuances of an offense. It takes three years. So you're going to bring in a new offense with a, it seems like they're going to give Howell a shot at this thing. Like just from people, what people have said, like he's going to get a good look. So you're going to bring in a new offense with a rookie quarter or with a second year quarterback. That just seems like a weird concoction there, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I think you got to find someone who has some familiarity with this system, um, who understands Ron and Martin's vision for this team, which is kind of this run first, you know, Atlanta, Tennessee, Browns kind of philosophy um, and make that go. And so can you do that without changing terminology? I think you're looking at a very, very specific tree, which is the, you know, the Norv Turner tree in terms of verbiage and play calling, and then a very specific person in terms of philosophy. And I think when you do that, you can count on your one hand, how many people fit that description. In addition to someone who'd be willing to take kind of a flyer on a year um, with a new owner and all that stuff. Well, and I was going to ask you too, like, do you think that's a hindrance? I think so. I think if you're a OC, you want to have an opportunity. Like I said, you'd like to give yourself a chance to install your offense and teach it the way you want to teach it and get guys where you want to get um, with regards to the installs, with regards to um, the details in the offense. And I'm not sure you get that in a year. And I, so I think if I, if I was an OC, like if someone said, Logan, you want to be the OC for the, um, for the commanders, a, I'd say this is a fantastic opportunity, but when I stay step back and look at it, it's like, is this going to give me the best opportunity to be successful? If I want to be an OC for a long time and I want to kind of be a head coach and move up the ladder, can I do that in this situation? I don't, as I don't know, I don't, I want to say no, but I don't know you, maybe you could make it work. The offense plays better. You win 12 games next year and you look like a genius, but there's also a level of risk there that I'm not sure a lot of guys are willing to incur. By the way, if you listen to my podcast, you heard that some people said, I want Logan Paulson as the offensive coordinator. <laughs> and I said, I will, I promise I will ask him his desire, <laughs> obviously. But I am curious, like, is that something you would – you're not going to make a jump to that. No. But as a to go into coaching, would that be something down the road that you would like to have and design your own offense or, you know, high school level? Yeah. So actually I, I, you know, I helped out with the offensive line at Independence High School last year. And then the coach said, you know, would you like to be the OC this year? So all this criticism that I've levied against offensive coordinators over the last two <laughs> years, I now get to kind of see if it works in practice, you know, so I'm getting to install my own offense and it is a, it is a challenging proposition. Um, you know, like a lot of details, it's your baby, it's your ownership. And so learning how to delegate, learning how to get what you need to go. It, it is something that I'm excited about doing for sure. So going back to the question about scheme and all that. So if they want to stay the same, then they, you know, like you said, there's a handful of guys, one of whom's on the staff because you, that's where you have the continuity in Ken Zampezi. Yeah. In general, you know, the idea of promoting from within after the offense hasn't been as successful is that, can that be good or bad? Or does it just depend on the individual? I think it depends on the individual. I do th- and again, I have no no information on this. I just feel like if I was Ron, I would go outside the organization. I, I know he has some assistants that he worked with that are currently up in Buffalo, and I would really kind of see if any any of those guys would be willing to to make a departure. And then the staff can largely remain the same because you know they've worked with this staff or a staff like this before. They've worked with Ron before, so I think that's what I would do if I was Ron. The question is, can you get that person to leave a playoff caliber team? Uh, for this situation. And, you know, that's something Ron will have to work out. Why would you want, why would you want to go outside? 
I think I think you need uh, some new blood. I think you need a little bit of um, yeah, just just a new approach, a new voice. Um, and he, I think you need someone who's got some credibility to them. Not that the no one on the staff has credibility. Not that I'm not saying that at all. I think just bringing in a guy who's been in Buffalo, for example, who um, who's won a whole bunch of football games, worked with Josh Allen, kind of seen what it means to to win football games. I think this offense needs some type of spark like that. Needs some type of catalyst like that to get um, to get these guys motivated uh, and on the right page. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place an NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet the NFL playoffs anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code KIME, K-E-I-M. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code KIME. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So one of the things they said in the press conference was the idea of a two-to-one run-pass ratio. Yeah. I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> there you go. I don't. I don't know when the last time somebody did that. At least, yeah. not, at least when they weren't wearing leather helmets. Um, right. But I do. Even, I do wonder about the idea of clearly what they want. What they. What they mean is a heavy run-based offense. Right. Do you like that thought? And here's the other thing along with that. And this is something I was thinking about too. And I may have even tweeted to somebody about this. San Francisco is considered a run-based offense, right? Right. They actually mm-hmm. throw the ball more than they run, but. The run base to me also means concepts that you're marrying to with yes. the run game and the pass game that plays off of the run game and leads you more success in the pass game. Anyway, there you go. No, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. I think that's I think this run first approach can be advantageous. You know, Green Bay does it, Minnesota does it, um, Dallas does it to a certain extent. Obviously, like there seems to be a you know playoff teams, the Bengals do it. Every team that's good 
has an element of this to their offense, right? Because I think there's this kind of universal understanding that it's hard to drop back pass a ton. Only uh, like a couple of teams can do that consistently, the Bills and maybe Kansas City. Everybody else, they have to kind of find ways to game and limit the exposure of the offensive line and limit the decision-making of the quarterback. And people say, oh, well, why would you limit the decision-making of Joe Burrow? And I think it's just about making it easier for them on a down-and-down basis. And so what I mean by that is like a play-action pass is a very simple read. Usually it's like we're reading one player, one area of the defense. And if that area is open, we're going to throw the ball. If it's not, we're going to check the ball down and it helps the offensive line because it makes the, the defensive line kind of block block magnets. They have to defeat blocks as opposed to win blocks. Right? So I think that that's all stuff that's helpful. It's just about kind of working that ratio and finding someone who's comfortable with it. Cause like when you look at Scott, I think he did a good job of designing plays uh, like certain runs and certain play actions, but he, he wasn't unable to or or didn't want to consistently kind of marry the runs to the passes. So finding someone who's got that kind of background, I think is important. Like Atlanta is the team that ran the football most in the NFL last year per total plays. And it was about 60%. So that's about as crazy as a number as you're going to get. Um, but most teams are in that 40 to 40, 48 kind of range in terms of percentages. So teams are always going to be passing more than they're running. It's just about how do you insulate the runs? How do you make your runs more effective? And then how do you find those chunk plays in the offense? Right. So um, I think that's what I would kind of say. I think he said two to one, but it's probably closer to one to one ratio. And then on those ones in terms of passes, can you make them lower leverage throws? Can we get big chunks on play pass? Can we work the screen game? Can we work RPO? Which are all kind of versions of the running game, just extensions of the running game that insulate the run and stay out of obvious passing situations, obvious dropback situations, much like um, much like the New York Giants did. They did a great job of insulating that group. They're not two to one, but they're almost one to one in terms of run to pass. And a big part of it is because they knew they had to insulate their offense. And, and that's one way to get it done. So I do think that's the right approach. Okay. And by the way, the other, the other factor too, that we didn't talk about, if you went to a completely different system is you're probably changing some of that personnel along with that. Cause it, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd, in other words, like you, if the guy, cause as we know, some systems in the stretch zone, you're going to look for different kind of offensive linemen yeah. than you would in this kind of offense. So that's why you, you want to mitigate some of those as well. And that's yeah. in addition to learning the offense, you want to make sure you have the personnel to fit what you have, especially Logan for a coach going into his fourth year under new ownership, most likely mm-hmm. you got to win. So you don't yeah. want to have too many changes for guys to learn. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, that's a hundred percent true, right? Uh, you know, I think you can, you could probably go with a, someone like from Atlanta, someone from Tennessee, some of these, but those are all outside zone based systems. And again, you had a very, you know, early on in the year, they were, they were pretty outside zone heavy. Yeah. They kind of transitioned to this gap scheme, uh, power duo, um, you know, inside zone style runs. And I think that has, has a lot to do with their personnel. I think we've all talked about personnel with regards to the offensive line. If you move Cosme to guard, you keep West Schweitzer at center, which, you know, you have to renegotiate his contract. You draft a tackle. Leno can run outside zone. And then that left guard, can they, can Chris Paul do it? He's athletic enough to do it. So it's not that hard to shift your offensive line person. I don't think that should be a limiting factor in selecting your coordinator. Cause I think you're pretty close to being an outside okay. zone base team anyway, but yeah. I do agree the verbiage, the terminology, the approach, the philosophy, all those things are extremely relevant and uh, they 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 must be factored in when, when making the selection for the offensive coordinator. How much? Because they also bring up the Brian Robinson injury and going into the season. Like I did hear and some some from some people in early August 
about their desire to be a power-based run team. Mm -hmm. And yeah. how much do you think that injury to Robinson really kind of threw things off early in the year? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because, I, you know, looking at what they were doing in training camp, there were elements of play-action pass. Right. And then when you look at the preseason, there were elements of play-action pass, but they weren't the most effective. That wasn't their most effective plays, right? They were more effective in kind of drop-back situations and – and I felt like that was a bigger point of emphasis during training camp. So to say that we wanted to be this the whole time, I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I do feel like there was, there was a slight shift at some point okay. saying that the offensive line isn't where we thought they were at or the skill position guys aren't where we thought they were at. Cause I, I think if you look at kind of stages of this off of, of the, of the season, like when Scott had full anonymity, it's, it's a drop back passing offense, right? The Jacksonville Jaguars, the Detroit Lions. Then all of a sudden there's, we, hey, we got to shift our focus. When Taylor Heineke comes to the helm, we kind of transition to run. Wentz comes back, it becomes a drop back focus again, right? And even after like big layoffs, like the bye week, the, first, the second Giants game, it's a drop back passing emphasis. So I'm not sure if that's just a disconnect between the messaging between Ron and Scott, or it just seems like they kind of said we need to transition at some point to this run first approach. I, I, it's hard to say exactly but but what is on the field felt different than that, if that makes sense. There was I always felt like there was a disconnect. And yeah. and you could tell by with Rivera during press conferences, things that he'd say, and like, well, that's you know, and as others said, I think he's sending a message to Scott through us at oh, times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, and he and I I will say this, I'm quite sure that he was telling him the same things privately. Mm. So but I do think there were times like, hey, this is you know, Rivera would just say, This is what we want to be and mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily what it was and then you'd see you know a lot of drop back or whatever against philly in the first game then a lot of heavy run quick throws the next game against dallas and um it just always felt like there was a kind of a wrestling for that identity and when you talk to people yeah. from other teams they felt like they didn't have an identity here and mm -hmm. you know how important is that to find that identity I think it's just a lot. It, so one of the things about being an offensive coordinator that, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting to experience now at the high school is like you can literally do whatever you want. You can call whatever you want. You can go in empty. You can go in bunches. You can go in motions. You can do anything you can possibly think of if, as long as you're smart enough to handle it. The problem is that that broad stroke, that broad canvas gets a little bit abstract the the identity of the offense gives you focus and gives you clarity of vision. It helps you make and inform decisions in certain situations, right? So, hey, it's second and five. We're an outside zone team. Like, that's what these guys are comfortable running. They know how to block that versus multiple fronts. Let's call outside zone. I feel comfortable doing that. Outside zone, boom, we get the first down. And then if it's a third and short situation, hey, we're an outside zone team that builds off of in terms of play action and keepers, okay? So it's third and two. I can call a keeper here. I feel very confident that we can get this third and two. And it just, again, it focuses you. Instead of saying, oh, well, we can run uh, Z motion, counter motion. We can hand the ball off to him and we can try to get the first down that way, It, which is kind of confounding. It creates noise in the offense. And I'm saying you need elements of that stuff for sure, but it, the identity is X and then we build off of X instead of saying, oh, that's cool. Let's bring that in. Oh, that, that's, that's cool over there. Let's bring that in. Just gives you a clarity of vision that, I think helps make decisions. And I think that's ultimately why that's so important. So, so now I was talking to someone else from outside of here and they, they thought like sometimes uh, maybe Washington had disparate parts for what they wanted to be. Mm. So you have, you want to be a run, heavy run based team, but you have three receiver sets that you love using. 
Yeah. And, you know, are you playing more in gun? Is Robinson better out of the gun or under center? Things like that. So I'm just yeah. curious, did you see it somewhat somewhat similar to that? Or, or is that just a, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I do think there were some, again, like that's that's one of the things like in the offseason when people say that they wanted to be like a power running team. Um, and you, you've we've talked about this before. You bring in Cole Turner, you bring in Jahan Dotson, you bring in some pieces that lead you to think, oh, we're going to throw the football more. Like they could have easily drafted an offensive lineman in last year's draft. Right. You know, like there was a lot of them got a highly graded highly talented guys in the second and i love dotson draft. for the for the you know yeah, I, mean? yeah. I know you too so but it, but it's not so much if you like the guy or not it's more about the identity and all that yeah yeah and so you could have said oh if we want to be a power running team like look at atlanta for example they have four first round draft picks invested in the offensive line and that's why they're good at running the football right because they have that as part of their identity their skill position guys are somewhat lacking right they have drake london and kyle pitts they're working through quarterback things all those things but you that is that seems very clear as to who they want to be right that's like very obvious even um you know cleveland like they have uh, invested a lot of money and a lot of resources in the offensive line kansas city little different story there they want to throw the ball they have excellent pass protectors and look at tennessee that's a, that's a really nice comparison too their offensive line degraded in terms of talent and their identity kind of slipped away right so i think they could have made some decisions this offseason to fit that kind of power running scheme a little bit more more perfectly but um, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think being a power running team precludes you from having good playmakers. I think that's right. something that people need to understand, right? right? Is like, yes, they, they did they do some things that were a little confounding? Yes. But also, like, I want offensive playmakers, even if I'm yeah, running the absolutely. football a ton. Absolutely. Like, look at, like, look at San Francisco. They, they have more playmakers than they could possibly want. Right. But they've also done a good job with the offensive line and keeping with their core principles as an identity. So, yeah, no, make no mistake. Like, I really like Jahan Dodson and I've, you know that like I've enjoyed watching him since he got here and how he's done. So it's not so much was it, but, but that was what somebody else had brought up. So right. I wanted to ask you about that. And you're right. Like you can't, you, you, it's just like in pitching in baseball, you can't have enough pitching. You can't have enough playmakers because right. like last year, a couple guys go down and now it's just Terry McLaurin. So you, yeah. know, you had one guy. So it's nice to have multiple guys who can make plays and Dotson is going to be really good. A um, couple more things here. Real quick, before I get to Sam Howell, Chris Paul, how'd you assess him on Sunday? Yeah, I thought Chris Paul, you know, was kind of one of those guys who showed flashes of what he can be from like a power standpoint. He's obviously very strong and he has some good movement skills. I, at times I felt the game was a little fast for him in terms of his get off, in terms of his footwork, in terms of his landmark and angle. But, you know, considering he hasn't played football in, you know, three or four months, like that's a that's probably to be expected. But I think there's enough enough shine there, enough kind of opportunity there for him as a player that you say, all right, let's, if he has a good off season, we're going to be in a good spot. I don't think that precludes you from, you know, looking at the free agent market or, you know, potentially drafting a guard, you know, in the first, second, third, fourth round area, but he did do a good job. I think that's a great value piece that you picked up in the seventh round. And I'm excited to see him continue to grow because again, he has an elite athletic profile. It's just, he is kind of still, he's still very raw and green and um, but I hope he continues to develop, and I think yeah. he will. And I, I'd like to see them, for their sake, get a, add a couple more young defense, young defensive line, young offensive line, because <laughs> I think I think that's a necessity. And even if, like you said, even if you think Paul can develop and is headed that way, I'm still going out and get another young interior guy because yeah. one, you always need them, and then two, just in case, you know, there's nothing wrong yeah. with having good young depth. And this is the other part of it. And this is where to me is like, and I'm going to get to how this is just a little blurb on my part, but 
Sadiq Charles' lack of development, I felt, mm. hurt them. He's the guy that you needed to ascend to replace a guy like Brennan Sheriff. You're doing it, and I'm not, you know, Matt's guy has done a really good job as a line coach, but like if the guy's developing right, then you let a guy go. Well, hey, you got this guy in house who who you think is going to do that, and that's what you want to get to. So if you have the more you have with those guys in your system, the better off you can replace a guy, and then you don't have to spend big money all the time to retain talent. So anyway, little aside, Sam Howell. What'd you think? Yeah, I'm, I was actually very impressed with Sam. I think, um, you know, obviously the physical tools were on display, like 100%, right? The arm talent, the quick release, the mobility, which is something that I really undervalued in his evaluation coming out of college. Like I didn't, I wasn't sure if it would translate to NFL defenses and it did. And it gives you a little bit of a glimmer into an offense like the New York Giants where you know, um, Daniel Jones is not maybe the most physically gifted guy. Does he always make the right decision? No, but he's able to elevate the offensive offensive line and the offense four to seven times a game on a scramble, and then three more, three to four more times on design quarterback runs, which are great kind of game stealing moments for you as an as an offense. So that's really cool, and it gives me kind of you know hope that maybe he could be the guy next year because of that skill set and also the arm talent i think the arm talent and the release specifically yeah. is something that really stood out to me and again you saw that in the preseason but you know him and carson wentz have probably comparable arm strength levels right they can both throw the ball very far but the quickness with which uh sam can get the ball out of his hand i think helps the offensive line it helps the receivers it helps the offense as a whole so that's really cool i also think you know scott just got fired but i think he deserves a lot of credit for kind of keeping things very simple for sam you know he has um a completion to jahan on a hitch where that's the only thing he's looking at and you trust your playmaker to win he has a the deep ball to terry that's the only thing he's looking at and he's staring it down the whole time but the play action pass in the backfield holds the linebacker he's able to deliver deliver a perfect ball so kudos for doing that but not reading a whole bunch. The choice route to Jahan, he's just reading that the whole way. So great setups by Scott to put him in a good spot. Um, can he read a defense at a high level? I don't know. He didn't show me. I'm sure he's physically capable of doing that and learning how to do it. Was that on display in the game? No. But did is the playmaking ability, the physical tools on display? Absolutely. And is it someone, is it, does that performance give you optimism moving forward that he could maybe, you know, be more than a high-end backup? Yes, but it is one data point. I think that's important for people to remember. Right. And that's why I ask you, what do you do going forward? Then, you know, ideally, what what do you think would look like a quarterback for them next year? So, like, like, there's so much to go here in the offseason. We're going to be talking about this for several months until they get it solved. Yeah. So, I think of right now, if so, there's two ways to go about it. One is if you think Sam Howell is the guy, you have to bring in some type of veteran competition slash mentorship, right? So the first name that comes to mind is like a Jacoby Brissett, Andy Dalton, someone like that, right? Someone who can win you football games, but also can be a backup and mentor the young kid, right? So more I think so, I'm sorry to interrupt, but more so than Taylor, you think? So that's an interesting thing. It really comes down to whether Taylor feels comfortable with that, because I think Taylor would be excellent at that. But I think Taylor also carries some baggage in this community and in this fan base. Can, will the will the fan base be patient with a a rookie or a second year player in Sam Howell coming along, or will they immediately call for Taylor Heineke? And I think that's something that needs to be negotiated. You know, from a personal standpoint, is I understand they have a fantastic relationship. I understand Taylor can mentor, but it's really about the fan base and do they feel comfortable and confident um, that the fan base isn't going to melt down the second Sam has a bad game. And um, if if the fan base is okay with that, if they're going to give Sam a long leash, 
I think that's an opportunity. But I also think I don't think any of this precludes you from drafting a quarterback at 16 if there's someone that you really like. And I think that's also so important to kind of recognize. Yeah, and that's something we'll get into much more during the offseason. <laughs> so, and there's a lot of time to go because we're gonna be talking about quarterbacks, ownership, new play callers, all that stuff for a few months. Logan, tell people where they can find you. Um, podcast, Instagram, etc. Right. Yeah. So on my Instagram, Logan underscore Paulson82, I post a lot of my stuff from the command center, which is the stuff through the team, the breakdowns and, um, you know, visit the YouTube page, uh, the commander's YouTube page for the commander's content. I do, I have a podcast called take command and I do the pre and post game show for one Oh six, seven, the fan on game day. So busy, lots of places you can find me, uh, check it out on any one of them. And you carry Craig Hoffman on that one, on that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's doing doing most of the heavy lifting on that. There there you go. Logan, always, always a treat. And people learn a lot whenever you come on. And I do too. So thank you very much as always. Thanks, John. Really appreciate having me on, man. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan for joining me. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. I'll be back on Monday with episode number 501 of the John Conn Report. It'll be a little bit of a, about 10, 15 minutes of me and a few minutes of Curtis Samuel. We recorded an interview with them on the final day, or yeah, on the final day that they were in the locker room. Just a few things just to get you to find out what he's going to do the offseason, what he felt of the season, how, how healthy he felt he was, and why that made a difference, etc. Anyway. That's it. Thank you for tuning in again, and I will talk to you Monday. So, talk to you next time.